Hello everyone and welcome to episode 73 of the Talking Football podcast. My name's Derek Clark and each week we try and bring you at least one first class interview with some of the biggest characters involved in the game. This week we have two in this extra bonus episode. I had the pleasure of chatting to esteemed author Jeff Connor, who alongside Berlin Books has just released the fantastic new book, Busby's Last Crusade, From Munich to Wembley, A Pictorial History. It's a brilliant read whether you're an avid Manchester United supporter or simply a football fan, you'll absolutely love this, I can assure you of that. It was great to get Jeff's input and not only the book but his other work too. How England winning the World Cup in 1966 put him off football forever and then he's recovering after suffering a stroke in 2008. So sit back and enjoy the latest episode of the Talking Football Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Fitball podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by author Jeff Connor. We're going to be talking about the, the recently released book, Busby's Last Crusade from Munich to Wembley, a pictorial history. An absolutely fascinating book. Jeff, thanks for, for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Um, for maybe people that are maybe unfamiliar with your work, Jeff, uh, I know you've released several, several terrific books in the past. Uh, can we have a, a little background about you and your, your your love of Manchester United? Yeah, well, um, I started work at 16 on newspapers, uh, the Weekly News, which everyone in Scotland will know. Um, that's where a lot of people started. And uh, basically moved on from there. Um, uh, it's the old agenda, like doing the tea and then moving upwards, hopefully. So, um, and then you get to a certain age and you start moving downwards, of course. So, there you go. That's why I started writing books. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, this book that, that, that's just come out, Busby's Last Crusade, uh, it's absolutely terrific. Can you tell us what made you get involved with this? Well, um, I was approached by Berlin Books, who um, wanted someone who allegedly knew things about Manchester United and um, um, they approached me to do some of the background and research and um, to be honest I wasn't really interested at first because I'd already done a book about the Busby Babes and Manchester United and um, I seemed to be going over old ground really but um, then they said a lot of it would be pictorial so uh, that for me meant um, doing all the captions and so forth. So um, I was quite happy to do that. Um, and um, we were given, um, I think in total, 200 photographs yeah. originally. And I talked them into 250 after that. And um, that's basically what it's all about. Um, so um, people who aren't interested in reading will still enjoy it, I think. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and it's it was interesting. I mean, there's a, a host of terrific uh, pictures uh, uh, in in the book, of course. And back in the day, there was there was no captions then, so it's it's good to see captions now to sort of dis- describe what you're looking at. Yeah, well, that was a bit of a nightmare actually, because um, um, if you know anything about some um, sports writing, um, photographers never bothered with captions in the fifties and the sixties. 70s even uh, nowadays of course they have to do a lot so uh, so um, very often I just got a, an image um, with no names on it uh, a date um, and what the teams were and I had to take it from there so um, you had to do a lot of research then um, but fortunately a lot of um, stats are available anywhere and um, these people are very devoted to their stats and um, but it took some time I mean that's what took up most of the six months of working on it so um, yeah it's with um, uh, mirror pics are fantastic but like I said um, the captions are pretty awful so (laughs) some of the pictures I mean one that stood out for me I I really liked the one uh, um, Matt Bosby and the players and, and and Bill Gray the night before the, of course the uh, the airplane um, crashed the following day. It's, it's stuff like that that you're quite poignant into seeing images like that. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, the Last Supper as they called it. Um, it was um, 
Yeah, most of them are on it, of course. Um, most of the guys who died, and uh, obviously Busby was a survivor. Um, and um, I mean, to, to my view, Manchester United have never recovered from that. Yeah. Even though um, Sir Alex and all that, I mean, uh, um, fifty-eight to sixty-eight. I mean, United. Ended for me about sixty eight when they won the European Cup, and that was it. Yeah, it goes into t- great detail about the the different players at, at Manchester United at, at that time as as well. Um, was, was that enjoyable? Obviously, being a, a Manchester United uh, fan like you are, Jeff. But is is it great to go back and then collate that information and, and speak to people in and around that, that the the club at that time? Yeah. Um I mean, some of them were extremely helpful. I mean, uh, I obviously got no help at all from Manchester United because uh, they're not into that unless uh, Manchester United are making money out of it. So, um, um, yeah, I spoke to... um, I did a lot of research. I mean, like, um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the quotes I've got are from people who died. And um, so they're not new quotes. Um, Some of them... Uh, I mean, um, I think um, by the time the book came out, uh, they were down to two. Um, just before the book was published, Harry Gregg died, um, so it was down to one, which was Bobby Charlton, and um, he's not in the state to talk to anyone. So, yeah. so it's sad to see a lot of them. I mean, Nobby Stars in a bad state as well. So yeah, I gather. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite. Yeah, it's always moved me to a great extent um, and I found it I found it hard to do quite a lot of the time but um, you know I never, I never get into the trap of uh, thinking oh Manchester United is the greatest team in the world and um, we're not going to be negative about them or anything like that because I know what gang of crooks have been behind it down the years so yeah. I don't think it would be, be sued for this so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> Um, I found it interesting reading about Jimmy Murphy in the sort of the way that he was cast aside. It's, it's just sounded a bit a bit sad. Is that did you echo sort of that that view that he should be sort of held in higher regard than, than what he is? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, Bobby Charlton would be the first man to say they owe everything to Jimmy Murphy in a lot of respects. I mean. Uh, uh, in many ways, Busby, after Munich, became the sort of office manager. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy did all the work on the field. So um, it was interesting to see um, Charlton's version of This Is Your Life, I think his first one, um, which yeah. is a pretty embarrassing affair, to be honest, because Charlton wasn't in a... He was still sort of twenty nine thirty, and he still he was still very shy about everything. It was very hard to get him to talk. And um, but of course, Busby turned up alongside him and just sat there throughout the interview, like uh, as if he was the head warden or something. And um, there was not a mention of uh, Jimmy Murphy all the way through. And uh, Charlton has always said, you know, um, all these wonderful goals are scored. Um, you know, they came by Jimmy Murphy, who just said to just said to me, like, um, just aim in the general direction of the goal. Don't bother to, you know, slot it in one area. Um, and that's how it worked, of course. And um, um, so, I mean, Jimmy Murphy wasn't mentioned on This Is Your Life until the end when uh, the first team trooped out with uh, Murphy with them and uh, uh, there was a little mention of Murphy saying um, you know he worked for Manchester United and that was it uh, and uh, I've never really forgiven Busby for that because um, they weren't talking at the time they were, they'd lost their friendship I know but um, it, it, in many ways it just shows how devious Busby could be at times so. yeah. yeah I was going to ask you about, about Busby Jeff like because um, I mean that that was sort of startling for me because the, the, the sort of idea I get, not obviously being as as close to the club as you, is, is this um, this this great uh, icon at Manchester United. But it's interesting to see that sort of different sides to him. Yeah, I mean, um, I 
Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, no manager is perfect, are they? They've yeah. got to be ruthless in a lot of respects. I mean, um, uh, we've seen that since then. I mean, um, Busby was. I mean, he was a great man to meet. I mean, he had this great aura about him, and um, he always knew his name. I always said hello. I mean, he'd say hello, Jeff, and I'd only met him once, um, which was very hard to um, be critical of someone like that. But, um, you know, it was after after Munich when a lot of people were suffering, particularly players who'd been hurt, um, badly hurt, who'd have to leave the club. the families and Busby could have done a lot more to help them in my respect um, when in fact um, he did very little yeah. I mean he took his cash along with his son and so forth and uh, never helped the others at all yeah but, yeah I was going to mention that of course we hear about the, the families not uh, maybe getting the, the, the financial help that, that they deserve following the, the, the tragedy and then it sort of leaves a, a bad taste in mouth regarding um, that sort of... Well, it does. I mean, it took, it took some 30 years, didn't it? So, like, yeah. um, and even then they cocked it up, absolutely. I mean, um, it was a Cantona, Eric Cantona farewell show, wasn't it? It was nothing to do with Munich at all. So, yeah. um, nah, you know, I, I, I love the club as a whole, for its history and so forth and what they've been through but um, you know the management and owners you know I find great problems with them so yeah uh, when you're speaking to the families down, down the years and what have you Jeff is that sort of did they feel this sort of shunned and left in the cold and sort of no it was, surpri- it was surprising because um, I mean um, no they would never Quasi critical in many respects. I mean, um, one or two were, but the ones who've suffered the most. No, some of them weren't bothered at all. I mean, like they just said, oh, it happened and that was it. And um, we're not going to criticise the club. Mm. Um, the biggest critic, of course, was um, our Irish friends. Yeah, and. I mean, the Busby Babes, as we know, we think the Busby Babes all sort of living in and around Manchester, but many, many came from far and wide as well, didn't they? They did indeed. Um, I'm trying to think now. I mean, how many were from Manchester? Um, it's hard to. Uh, I mean, a lot of people call themselves a Busby Bays, but of course they weren't. I mean, yeah. um, they're the ones who were brought in by Busby and Jimmy Murphy originally. Um, Duncan Edwards from, was from the Midlands, for example, but we're still calling them the Busby Busby Babes. Um, most of them lived in Manchester at the time. Um, usually in rented accommodation and um, most of them were married so um, yeah I think um, Northern Ireland Southern Ireland a lot of Scots yeah they're Welshmen yeah so one one player that obviously catches the eye and is is fondly remembered um, that we lost is is Duncan Edwards Um, I never managed to, to see him play unfortunately but he sounded well, like a, a, real, a real colossus, and I mean, he would have went on to become one of the best players in the in the world. Do you think? Well, it's hard to work out, isn't it? Because um, when a, when a player dies very young, he eventually becomes immortal, doesn't he? And I mean, like um, um, there are lots of people who never saw him play who say, "Oh, he was the greatest player I ever saw," etc. And um, there's not much footage of him, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I just take it on um, what Busby and Jimmy Murphy said about him. And if they said he was the best footballer they'd seen, that was good enough for me. So, um, yeah, and I mean, um, he was cruelly injured, which, uh, and I mean, he survived for a few days. But in many respects, it it was a good idea that uh, he didn't survive, to be honest, because he was absolutely ruined. Um, he'd have been crippled for life he'd have had trouble walking um, his liver had gone um, but he fought on for 10 days so it was absolutely marvellous yeah absolutely and post Munich of course um, how challenging uh, was it uh, as a club for Manchester United and for Sir Matt Busby of course recovering as, as well from 
uh, his injuries from, from the crash? Yeah, um, I mean, the manager was on death's door for some time and um, there was a big fear that he'd never recover at all and um, uh, how could Manchester United carry on without Busby? Um, uh, but of course, he had a very, very famous number two who could um, could fill the gap in many ways. Um, and then a lot of the players were quite a few of the players were never going to play again for the club. Um, and um, obviously, someone had to start thinking about who they were going to bring in, etc. Um, and most of the players who'd been involved at Munich were slowly got rid of, um, except the notable ones like Bobby Charlton. Um, and then, but it was a it was a pretty marvellous thing to manage in ten years to to win the European Cup, and yeah. I think. Um, Busby and his lieutenant should be uh, praised for that in many respects. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned there Charlton, of course, he would play. Well, how, how pivotal a role would he play uh, in the next 10 years, Jeff? Well, uh, remember, he wasn't captain. Um, um, Dennis Law was captain some of the time, um, particularly if Law was playing. Um, Charlton. I think he was seen as the pivotal, um, pivotal part of the recovery uh, because he hadn't been badly injured, unlike a lot of the others. Um, and um, he was relied on a great deal because he was a fantastic player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but um, there obviously had to be other players to come in, particularly Dennis Law. Um, George Best slowly came into his pump then and um, the three of them together were a fantastic partnership, I thought. Yeah. Uh, how did you find the likes of Best and um, Law uh, in terms of their characters? Uh, how, how did you find them both? Well, I've, I've always said uh, Dennis Law should have been knighted some time ago because his work for charity is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And um, it baffles me why uh, there's all sort of uh, political people who get knighted for doing sweet F.O., yep. basically. Uh, Dennis went through traumas of his own. His, um, his son was seriously ill for some time, and um, that's when he saw his... He could do a lot of work on charity from then on, so... Um, and he was always approachable. I mean, um, it was funny when I was writing this book. Um, this was about 2019. Um, I was looking up the chapters on law, etc. And um, I remembered it, it was actually possible to phone him at home and um, uh, get quotes from him, etc. You had to be a bit lucky because a lot of the time I just had answer phone on and he never responded to those. Mm. But... Um, so 2019, I, I got his old number and I thought, I wonder if he's still at that address. So I phoned him up and um, a lady answered straight away. And I said, oh, uh, I said, oh, I've probably made a mistake, but I was hoping to speak to Dennis Law. And she said, oh, he left here some time ago. <laughs> and I said, well, um, but you never changed the number. I said, oh, no, I could never change the number of Dennis Law, could I? <laughs> He's a gentleman. Whenever you, you see him on television or, or, or what have you, he certainly seems that um, he's, he's just a cracking guy, isn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, George was a George was a nice guy, but he was he was horribly naive in a lot of ways, particularly in uh, uh, particularly in his women. I mean, um, everyone assumed, oh, George has got another lover, etc. But of course, a lot of these ladies had agendas of their own. You know, like yeah. um, there was the famous one of. Um, Susan George, I don't know if you remember Susan George. Yeah, actress. yeah, I've seen it. In the, yeah, yeah, I've seen it in the book. Yeah, there was famous pictures of um, him, her with George in Palmer, wow. Mallorca. Yeah. I think it was the summer of 69 or 70. And um, there were loads of images of um, the two together and um, all in the same gear, basically. And um, But there was never any other pictures and, like, Everyone said, oh, the lovers of, the great lovers, Susan George and George Best. But of course, they were never seen together again. It was just a publicist. Yeah, that's sad. For Susan, really, and she did quite well after that, I think. Um, whether George saw it that way, isn't, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, um, there was the famous um, cock-up with um, newly crowned Miss World, wasn't there, Marjorie Wallace, yeah. who... Um, um, she had obviously seen how she could use George's propaganda or whoever she was with because um, <laughs> the dogs are jumping on my side. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, Marjorie Wallace posed with him, etc., etc. They went out on nights out. Um, and Marjorie Wallace, it turned out, um, was always seeing it off with Jimmy Connors and uh, Tom Jones. Um, she had the fiance called um, Peter Revson, I think it was. He was heir to sort of the Revlon cosmetic industry. And um, so she wasn't uh, she was quite a naughty lady in many respects. <laughs> uh, and George never saw this coming. And um, he, he was so naive in a lot of ways, particularly with the girls. Because, like I said, uh, uh, they had their own agendas, a lot of them. Yeah. Bobby, of course, was... Um, Bobby always had this dull look on his face, didn't he? You never saw him smiling, but I think it yeah, was... Um, I think he'd agreed with... Uh, Harry Gregg was the same, actually, the goalkeeper who survived. Um, in public, you'd never see them smiling, because I know why, because... Um, you know, they might go to um, a burial service or something like that, and the son famously uh, always try and get some people to smile so they could turn around and say, uh, here's Bobby Charlton at the funeral of so-and-so grinning his head off. You know, that's the sort of thing, they, how they operated. Yeah. And um, I worked for the son, so I know how it works. So, um, so neither of them ever, um, you'd never see a grin from them in public. Yeah. Harry, I never saw a smile from him ever, to be honest. <laughs> um, although, uh, Harry was, he could get a smile out of Harry, he was very entertaining company, uh, um, but very sarcastic about, um, you know, the management of Manchester United. So. Yeah. And, I wanted to touch on them best on the, on the field. Um, how big a role he played? Because we had on um, Alec Forsyth a while ago on the podcast and I asked him about him and he says that the, the doc really had enough of him. You he, he couldn't really rely on him then on, on the fields. But um, back then in that uh, in the lead up to that uh, European Cup final in 68, how, how how big an impact did he have on, on the field, Jeff? Well, um George has always famously said, um, you know, they couldn't have done it without him. And, and it was perfectly true because the whole team sort of revolved around him. They just relied on him to do virtually everything. I mean, um, um, you know, from his the famous five goals he won in, in Lisbon, um, that just about summed it up, really. And uh, I think he got a bit pissed off with it in the end because... Um, yeah. He thought um, a lot of the, a lot of the players uh, were paid a lot more than George, yeah. 
and um, included Bobby Charlton. And um, I think he got a bit fed up with us in the end. Whether that caused him to go off the rails, I don't know. I think uh, his, his problems were, I think he was basically born with his problems. So. Yeah. But he was a marvellous player. I mean, like, um, I think virtually everyone would admit that, including the people who tried to kick hell out to him. Um, you know, Chelsea had a player called um, Ron Harris. You probably remember his yeah. history. He was um, they used to call him Chopper Harris, which yeah. just about sums up his playing ability. <laughs> and um, of course, if Chelsea were playing United, um, Chopper was called, or oh, just follow George around and try and kick him if possible. And he never managed it. And to be honest, um, long after George had died and Harry had, Harris had retired, uh, he, he came around and admitted that. And uh, um, he said um, he'd watched the film of this. It used to be the start of um, maybe with the sports night or grandstand, I think it was. Yeah. It showed um, George running through Harris, tr- tried to chop him and miss him hilariously, and George <laughs> scoring. And um, Harris later admitted later on that he'd, he'd watched that for years and years, hoping that he'd one day catch George, and of course he never did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, George could basically turn a match around on his own, couldn't he? So. Yeah, he was he, he was something special. That that's for sure. It, it leads us on. To, I mean, of course, he would. Uh, he and Charlton would score in that um, in that cup final in, in '68. And in, in terms of it was a fantastic the, night, wasn't it? I mean, like yeah. um, it was one of the great nights of football, but not particularly, uh, possibly not to non-Manchester United fans but I think uh, it was great for British football I thought because yeah. it was um, I mean Char- for Charlton to get two goals was just um, you couldn't really make it up could you so um, but extra time again <laughs> <laughs> don't make it easy no no extra time and, um, was there a sense of increased pressure just because of what happened a decade before and um, the feeling that this would sort of not erase the memories, but sort of just show that Man United, uh, what a recovery it's been from from where they were to the champions of Europe. Well, I mean, Busby was absolutely desperate. Yeah. To win that cup, I yeah. mean, um, um, I don't think it, it just governed his whole life. To be honest, the last couple of years, yeah. I mean. Uh, the thing you noticed about that when he, when he got close to the final, um, Busby never went on the pitch for training because he had trouble walking uh, from still from injuries from Munich. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Murphy did a lot of the training. But um, when he got near the final, Busby started appearing on the field, which was quite interesting. And um, I don't think it was done for propaganda Purposes. I, th- I just think he was so desperate to win this final that um, you know he went a bit a step further than he would do normally. So yeah, I was pleased for him. I was pleased for all of them. Um, uh, but that should Busby should have retired straight after that and just as he did. Of course, he retired from management, but he stayed with the club when he should have left and. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, it was sort of, it was maybe similar to the Sir Alex, not not as much so, of course, but just in terms of just staying around when maybe a, a clean, fresh slate would, would have been better. History sort of suggests that. Yeah, well, I mean, he wasn't very good at picking successes, was he? I mean, none of them turned out too well. Um, and really, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been his job. I mean, um, I don't think he was a good judge of managers, to be honest. I mean, like um, Tommy Doherty was a failure. I thought. I mm. mean, we went down, went to Division One with him. Um, yeah. Frank Farrell was quite successful, to be honest. As far as I mean, they were top of the league for some 
period. Yeah. Um, but of course, he always had Busby in the background with um, seemed a perfectly nice bloke. The thing is, Alfar had a good background, didn't he? And um, uh, he started well with Manchester United. Um, yeah. I mean, it showed, the Franco Farrell affair, to me, it showed how ruthless Busby could be, to be honest. I yeah. mean, um, you know, when uh, when you think of Busby now, you think of the kindly old grandfather type. Um, yeah. You call your son, and um, Jimmy Murphy was there as a sort of hard man, bad cop, if you like. And um, but Busby, you know... He was never a sort of go to the hairdryer treatment for players or anybody else, but um, it could be quite devious, according to Farrell, particularly when finances came, because yeah. um, um, Frank Farrell had been offered a certain amount, um, basic pay, 12K or something like that, and... Um, uh, Busby had somehow managed to change it around to 10k and because uh, I think that was when Frank O'Farrell realised that um, he wasn't going to last there at all so yeah. so they brought a doctor then who uh, I was regarded as a big con man um, he was a great talker in public <laughs> um, Tommy of course had always wanted the Scotland job and Auntie yeah. after Steen so it's like a lot of things. I mean, with Busby in charge, the club had this fantastic reputation, but um, um, a lot of the people you had to deal with there weren't very nice people, to be honest. Yeah. Because uh, they're quite vindictive. Yeah, I can quite imagine. Quite nasty. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can imagine. Um, uh, I, was... uh, I mean, um, uh, Frank has always said the, the worst of them was Busby. Yeah. Very poor. He had a poor opinion of Matt Busby. Yeah, uh, and he still has, and I think he's in his mid nineties now, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine it being comfortable when when you've got them overseeing things and things like that, and you've not really got free reign to. Uh, well, he didn't even get his own office, did he? I mean, yeah, Busby so kept that's, his that's office. Bad. Kept the manager's office. Right? That's pure. Um, and it was only work really when Fergie came along that. Um, you know, Busby was background, really. Yeah. Uh, but so was everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, of course, he got rid of Jimmy Murphy as well, which is pretty, yeah, pretty disgraceful, really. Yeah. It was quite sad to see Busby at the end because he was obviously quite senile and uh, mm-hmm. um, to quite uh, to start carry on appearing at. The club, as if he was still yeah. involved in it, was a bit embarrassing. And uh, I think uh, the owners at the time uh, quite happily got rid of him. So all these clubs do that. Liverpool do it. All these clubs are the same. All the club management and owners are the yeah. same. They'll get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know. This, this... Get rid of them with no impunity. I mean, um, um, who would ever have guessed that Shankly would have been thrown out of Liverpool? But, I know. Uh, it happened. But Liverpool have always had men in reserves, haven't they? Yeah. They haven't had to go looking looking around for a new manager. They've always had one there, just, just, just waiting in the background. Yeah. The famous boot room, isn't it? Yeah. Um, United should have thought of something like that a long time ago. Instead... Um, Busby had to go searching around the, the company and of course he, uh, around the country and of course he wasn't very good at things like that. Yeah. 58 to 68, I mean, um, there were some terrible bad periods. I mean, there were t- some crappy players as well, but um, somehow it came around in 68 and I think uh, in some respects it's down to the big three, you know. Yeah. Best in particular. Uh Charlton to a lesser extent and certainly Dennis Law it was a great couple of years wasn't it because uh, England won the World Cup 66 which was I think uh, to be honest England has gone downhill since then <laughs> 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 I mean um, yeah a lot of people still think we're um, governors of the world you know yeah no I know you get that I think we won the World Cup 
I think that's uh, there does seem to be that of we've won the World Cup, haven't we? So we're, we're up there with like your likes of Germany and Brazil and what have you. And it's 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 not uh, it's not the case. Although they do look pretty good under under Gareth now, I have to say. But um, it's that expectation, yeah, but, uh, isn't it? It's just it's just overwhelming at times if you're uh, if you're England. Oh, I, I know that, and I mean it's the same with rugby. I mean, like uh, I go to Twickenham, and uh, I used to um, do jobs at Twickenham uh, for Scotland on Sunday, and uh, yeah. I used to hate it. I used to hate the aura there, like um, the good time boys that were there, and uh, no, no sympathy or support from opposing teams or anything like that. It was absolutely awful. And I mean, English football has always been like that as well. So, um, you know, you ask good folk of Dublin what what it was like to have English fans going there. I mean, I began to despise English football altogether. That was basically after 66. I think I may have told you this before. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, now I thought, um, I thought winning the World Cup was a bit of a con trick in many ways because um, you know um, there's um, I think it was it was planned that West Germany would play England in the final yeah. um, because Argentina the big dangers like in in both matches against West Germany and England they had loads of players sent off that was a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly Raffin, Raffin and the, um, the England final who's a fantastic player yeah. and uh, of course the West German referee sent him off so there you go <laughs> yeah, shock <laughs> you get cynical about things like this you know if you look, <laughs> no. back, on, you look back on that final about 66 World Cup I mean like uh, yeah I think um, yeah who else was involved in that yeah, Portugal had a near miss, didn't they, against um, North Korea? Oh, yeah, they were 3 0 up or something, were they not? North Korea, yeah, yeah. North Koreans were on drugs, of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get cynical, like I said. <laughs> yeah, the, um, but, um, and uh, it always baffled me about um, why Jimmy Greaves never made it into the England team because. Um, I mean, if Jeff Hurst could score three goals in a in a match, um, Jimmy Greaves would score six. Believe me, that's another great mystery of life to me. But there you go. <laughs> Poor Jimmy. Yeah, he's not he's not too uh, well just nervous. I think he's um. Well, no, I mean, Muslim are from that era are pretty poorly, you know. I mean, yeah. Charles in the states. Um, I mean, he couldn't even make it to his brother's funeral. So, yeah, um, yeah. Nobby Styles is. I mean, nobody's been through anything, basically. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, is he, is he outside, he's in, a, he's in home, isn't he? He's Alzheimer's or something like that, I think. Yeah, he's had strokes, um, yeah. he's had all sorts. Ah, that's yeah. a shame. I was actually born in the same nursing home as Nobby. Wow. In Harper Hay. Wow. <laughs> that's my claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that's your how I got did, him. Did, did, um, did you speak to him? Grow, grow, uh, well, it, it was interesting that because um, when I was doing research, I thought, well, I should talk to Nobby and about being brought up among the Busby babes. Um, so I phoned him like everyone else in that time. You, were, you had phones, phone numbers of everyone, yeah. and you could just ring them up as often as you like. So um, I rang him up, he answered the phone. I said, um, I was doing this book about um, Munich and the aftermath, etc. And he says, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And, uh, um, he wasn't keen, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, then I mentioned that um, Beach Mount Nursery Home, Harper Hay, that we'd both come from the same place, and he got quite keen. <laughs> and he agreed to talk. <laughs> but then um, a week later, he'd had um, another stroke or something. So oh that was the end of that. Yeah. yeah it was uh, quite sad, really. Yeah, because, I mean, you watched him back in the day, and he was just, he was a, a buzz bomb, wasn't he? He was just, he was everywhere. He covered every place. Well, I mean, everyone says he, uh, everyone think he was a hitman. You know, he was 
Manchester United version of um, uh, the famous Italian hitman, you know, who yeah. just uh, kick, kick people around. But, um, well, the Harrises, you know. Um, yeah. But, um, no, he was a better player than that. And, I mean, um, uh, he couldn't be left, he could never be left out of that team, particularly for that World Cup. Yeah. Um, he was just as important to Charlton, I think. As Ch- uh, just as important as Charlton. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I say, everyone thinks he's just a hitman, but he was a very skilled player. And uh, as far as tapping goes, well, um, his eyesight was appalling, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've got great admiration for Nobby Stiles, though. Yeah, yeah, he was a cracking player. Um, can I ask uh, your opinion of the, the club on the field just in, in the present day Jeff because I know they're going through a bad defeat at, at the weekend um, how, how do you feel they're, they're looking at the moment under under Ollie <laughs> <laughs> well I hope Ollie does well um, to be honest I don't watch him I couldn't tell you who any of the players are yeah, yeah. Uh, I know who the manager is Um I really lost interest in football in 1966, to be honest, after the World Cup win. I've followed football since then, um, but never to the extent where I'd go to a match or um, watch it on television even, because um, I lost interest, to be honest. Yeah, uh, and this book, obviously, it's it's just been released, Jeff. You you can get it now uh, in all uh, good bookshops and online, of course. Any plans to do any any more books in the future? Well, I think, as I've told you before, I've had problems problems reading and writing, and as you'll probably find out here, um, speaking as well, because I don't... Stroke in 2008, and I'm still trying to recover from that. So, um, at the time, I was a journalist, and um, as you probably know, that um, everything about journalism is based on speed and accuracy, and that had all gone, of course. So, uh, this isn't in the sub story, by the way, because it um, doesn't bother me now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had to learn how to read and write and speak again. Um, um, the bizarre thing about this, and I'm sorry to bring this on, but um, um, when I came round in hospital, uh, I couldn't speak English whatsoever. Wow. Within a week or so, I discovered I could still speak French and German, like wow. I'd lived at school. I couldn't speak English, but I could speak French and German. It's absolutely bizarre. So, so strokes must work on different aspects of your brain, so... <laughs> but it wasn't much good to me in uh, working wise so so um, like everyone else been trying to book, uh, do a fictional book and I've been working on it for six or seven years and some days I get keen on it uh, other days I just can't be asked so <laughs> Like is all, like is all, and uh, I mean, we spoke, we spoke previously as well, Jeff. You I mean, you're no stranger to writing um, to Scottish football writing as well. You went up to to follow East Stirlingshire, didn't you? Um, back in the I did. Day. I actually, I was thinking about this after I spoke to you. That um, I actually did a book called um, uh, "Fanatical About Football," which um, I was quite pleased. It's never sold any copies, but it didn't really bother me. But all it involved was um, going around to interview. Uh, Scottish people who were interested in football and it, they weren't all footballers I mean um, uh, probably the most I, mean, I went to see people like Yogi Hughes who's worth, always worth talking oh, to wow. isn't he? he's a character yeah and um, yeah uh, and uh, but the film stars Debray Scott spoke to Brian Cox and then uh, politicians uh, Gordon Brown did, gave me an interview when he was Chancellor. Uh, proclaimers, all sorts <laughs> of people like that. Jack McCall was an interesting one. He was um, in charge of Scotland at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it, it was interesting because um, politicians will never tell you who they support because they're not going to lose votes if they pick the wrong one. Yeah. So um, I think it's fairly well known that Jack McConnell would uh, vote for Rangers if he could, but um, he came up with some obscure club I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> like he's still into maybe something like that. Same with Gordon Brown. He wouldn't say who he. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's a wraith. I think he just plays safe and supports wraith rovers, which is his, his, his constituency. Well, yeah, Gordon Brown probably does actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yeah, Jack McConnell was hilarious. Like uh, <laughs> the thing I remember about him most was he, he was sat in his chair and his feet come to stop, touch the floor. <laughs> That's it. I could, could keep take, keep my eyes off this. Uh, the leader of Scotland, his feet couldn't touch the floor. And his... <laughs> so, um, no, I was quite pleased with that. And uh, like I say, it never sold me copies, but um, I noticed um, a lot of the quotes in it are used by um, sports writers today without asking me, of course. Uh, um, a lot of the Yogi Hughes quotes you get down the years came from me originally. So. Yeah. yeah um, so and then, um, no, I've done. Uh, I was very clean, keen on mountaineering, so I've done climbing books. Um, what else? I, I covered Scotland rugby for five years, so I did some books on that. Uh, I've covered uh, cycling. No, my, my first book was cycling, covering the Tour de France '87. So. That was my first book. Yeah, long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, 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 this book's this book's an a- absolute cracker, um, Jeff. You've done you've, you've done really well with it, so um, certainly recommend it for anyone. Well, like that... I say, if, um, uh, the um, a lot of the words are not new, uh, but yeah. a lot of the photographs are, and a lot of the captions are, which is the main thing about it, I think. And I'm not being cynical about football as a whole. I mean, um, it's just um, you get to a stage where you move on and start getting interested in other things, don't you? So, yeah. um, I mean, 58 to 68, I've always, um, I've always followed that. And, um, and having been brought up in Manchester and in that era and uh, having seen some of the players... Um, I have a great soft spot for the club. Yeah. But like I say, never for the managers or the owners, so there you go. I was going to ask, you mentioned, uh, Jeff. of course, um, you were recovering from your stroke in 2008. In terms of learning English, how, how difficult was that to do that again? Well, I think the main thing about a stroke is initially, you don't know, it doesn't worry you at all because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, You've just absolutely no idea. You don't know that you're ill. You don't know that you might not recover, that you may recover. Um, anything like that is just um, by the by. It's when you start getting better, you start getting worried because then you start thinking, well, am I going to be able to work again? Um, what am I going to do? Um, you know, I'm a long way off my pension. What am I going to do for money, etc.? Um so that is the main thing about it. But to be honest, it's been a challenge. And, you know, I can't drive, for example. Um, I have trouble using the phone, um, things like this. Um, uh, I have trouble at times telling the difference between them, um, between lots of things around the house. I mean, um, and after a time, during the day, you, you tend to run out of steam a lot and uh, you tend to sleep a lot. So... But um, I got myself a wee puppy, and um, <laughs> that's given me another challenge. So um, whether I'll be able to write with, until this puppy grows up, I don't know. So, um, but you've got to carry on somehow, and um, and you know, it's it's nice to talk to people like you because um, you tend to get in a, a bit of a bunker, and um, you don't talk to anyone. And like, um, that's the other thing about having a dog because. Um, you know, people who see you in the street recognise the dog. They might not recognise you, but they recognise the dog and yeah. say hello to you. And uh, 
that was when I got interested in talking to people again, so that's how it went, Derek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, if you've... I'm sure that the, the puppy will certainly keep keep you busy, Jeff. That's for sure. I've got I've got a puppy myself, uh, an Akita, and it, it certainly it certainly can. Um, oh, good luck! <laughs> he's a big boy, that's for sure. Um, it's been yeah. Great. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so how do you work and um, look after the dog as well? It, it's a, it's it's a challenge. I'll tell you that. You've got uh, a family, obviously. Haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Luckily, the, the wife takes him out for a walk, and I'll, I'll right. take him out for a walk. And then he usually sort of chills for about twenty minutes, and then he'll go, he'll go bananas for a period of time, and it's, uh, it's striking the balance there. But um, he certainly, he certainly keeps you on your toes. That's for sure. How old? How old now? Uh, he'll be ten months now. Ten um, months, right? Still a puppy. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so he was, he was a, a rescue dog initially. We got him from the RSPCA. Um, good for you, mate. So, um, so yeah, they, they certainly uh, keep you busy. Yeah. Lovely, Bill Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I really appreciate okay, it. Okay, well, I hope it's okay. Like I say, it's um, have problems, and um, but there you go. Well, that was episode 73 of the Talking Football Podcast with Jeff Connor. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch them all on pretty much all podcast platforms. Be also sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Football website. It's talkingfootball.co.uk. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore football, and we're on Facebook as well. Hope you can join me again next week when I'll be chatting to Scottish goal-scoring machine and a man who is part of numerous promotion-winning sides. It's the one and only Paul Ritchie. But until then, keep safe and bye for now.